Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Into Faith We Go. Into Faith We Go. Now, as I was looking back over the last few years of what God has done in our church and, you know, being very nostalgic, one thing that came to the surface was this sense that God has never allowed us to stay at a place of comfort and ease. He's always stirred us up and moved us forward, not allowing us to become comfortable and at ease. Because that's always a dangerous place. Like in Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 11, you can jot it down. It says, Moab has been at ease from his youth. He settled on its dregs. He's not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remain in him, and his scent has not changed. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that I shall send him wine workers who will tip him over and empty his vessels and break the bottles. Now, the picture here is of the ancient art of winemaking where they would put grape juice in with the yeast in different barrels and they would let it ferment. And as it fermented, they need to take it and as the impurities would come to the top, they would skim it off the top and then pour it into a new vessel. Skimming off the impurities, pour it into a new vessel over time. If they didn't do that, then what happened here with Moab would happen. All the impurities would settle down to the bottom and ruin it and destroy it. And he uses this picture to say, look, Moab has never experienced the pouring process. They've, he's, they've never turned their life toward me. They've never experienced anything but comfortableness and at ease. And because of that, they're going to face quick, sudden, thorough judgment. And you know, there is great consequence for us choosing the comfortable route. That's our problem. The tension between the spirit and the flesh in our life is this. The spirit says, yes. The flesh says, no. I like things predictable. I like things going the way. I I like to know what's going to happen ahead of time. I like to plan, you know, especially for those of you that like to plan your life out, that like to know what's going to happen 20 years from now. You like to have a little bit of control. You don't like surprises. You definitely don't like life-altering surprises. You have a tendency to go the route of being comfortable and at ease. And it's too easy to settle down. This comes as a warning to us as a church family, as believers in Jesus Christ. It's simply too easy to settle down into our areas of comfort and ease, resisting change, resisting faith. We become people that are predictable. And we like the predictability, and, the, and predictability then leads to complacency, and then complacency leads to idleness. Idleness leads to faithlessness, and we just become stagnant in our relationship with God, and we wonder, what has happened? Could it be that you haven't been living by faith? That's the answer to the situation. We, we, maybe you heard it and you go, well, Ed, I hear you describing it, I understand, the con- I understand both sides, but I- I'm doing okay. Things are okay with me. And and then you feel like things are going well. 
And yet at the same time, you feel like things are going well, you think things are going well, but you know personally you have not been living the fullness of a faith walk with God for a long time. You've been religious, you've had religious activity. It's not that you're against God or have anything against God. You just aren't in tune with that first love experience of I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything for you, God. My life is yours. I have died to myself. I'm now alive in Christ. I have answered the call, Jesus, for you. You called me, you said, come to me, and I've come, and I'm here, and I'm willing, and I'm ready, and I wanna match with obedience. You see, if you haven't been in that vibrant faith walk, then things are not okay. It's not okay to live a half-hearted life. It's not okay to give a religious expression. It's not okay. Nothing great has ever been done with a half-heart. And no true follower of Jesus makes great progress half-heartedly. As we learn in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, without faith, what? It is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God because we need to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And as we survey the scriptures and as we have a lot of friends, believers, we have people in our lives, the, the way to discover the will of God is the same now as it has been for all eternity or for any time that God has had relationships with man, the way to discover God's will is the exact same. As you see it in the Bible, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you see Miriam, you see Rahab, it's the same way. It's the same way. They've all given us the same example. And that is, we hear the word of God, and we take a venture of faith. And we step out and say, I hear what you say, God, and I'm going to do it. I hear what you say, my spirit bears witness with your spirit, and I'm going to do what I hear you saying to me, matching a faith that's alive with obedience that's alive. To take a venture of faith and see what God might do, to step out. And I'm so encouraged as I read through the scriptures of the steps of faith that are about on just about every page of the Bible. Men and women like you and me, wanting to be involved in the ministry of God, wanting to be involved in what God is doing on the earth today. All of them realizing, whether they realize it at the moment or not, that they were on mission with God. Not, not a mission for God, but on a mission with God. This is God's mission on the earth. We have joined his will. We have following him. He doesn't follow us. We follow God. And think about what would change today if you simply adopted the truth and acknowledged it in every area of your life that I'm on a mission with God. I'm on a mission with God in this place where I work. I'm on a mission with God in my marriage. I'm on a mission with God in my singleness. I'm on a mission with God in my unemployment or in my flat tire. Like, I am on a mission with God. It would change your whole perspective. The problem? We'd rather complain about where God has us. We'd rather be upset. Instead of taking steps of faith and embracing where we are, we run to and fro trying to find the will of God. When God says, all the while, I'm with you, this is my will. But I don't like it, Lord. I know. The longer you live, 
the more you find there will be things in life that you don't like. We live in a sin-soaked world. And to not match God's word with faith will pull you away from the mission of God. That you are with him and he is with you. Remember Jesus said in John 15, abide in me and I will what? Abide in you. Let my word abide in you, Jesus says. And I love the people of the Bible. They've added so much to my life. So many of your stories and what God has done in your life add so much to my life personally. All of the men of the Bible, all of you taking seriously your commitment to Jesus, ready to follow his leading, open, which leads us to Joshua chapter three. As we come to a time in the children of Israel's life where things are changing and they're gonna be going in a new direction in their life. that They are following the same God, they are following the same leader, but God is bringing them to a place of more faith, that, that God is gonna do a work in their life as he's leading them through Joshua, he's bringing them to a place where their faith will be tested and they'll be challenged to take the next step. Notice with me in verse one of chapter three, it says, then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. And just for the, you note takers, that's the Jordan River, the Jordan River. He and all the children of Israel, they lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure, about a half a mile, two-thirds of a mile, because you're talking about you know, a couple million people. There's a lot of people here, a large group of God followers, so there's gonna be a distance so they can see. Notice, there's gonna be a space. Do not come near it, verse four, that you may know the way by which you must go, and then hopefully you have this underlined in your Bible. If you don't, highlight it, underline it, circle it, because this is the word of God to us today. It was to them then, and it's to us now. For you have not passed this way before. And we'll get back to that in a moment. Verse five. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So like Moses before him, Joshua received his orders from the Lord, matched the orders from God with obedience, and he did what God told him to do. And he passed on what God gave to him to the leadership, to the priests, so that they now have to believe that their leader heard from God. And it's a new way that God is working among the people, where Joshua receives word, now the priests are gonna follow Joshua, and the thing is, is Joshua's not Moses. Joshua's not Moses. Moses has died, not able to enter into the promised land because he misrepresented God. And he's not going to enjoy the promised land, at least not in this case. We know he gets in later in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration, but he doesn't come in here. Joshua now takes place. And he'd give, he takes his place, and now Joshua is getting information from them. He's gonna take the people. This is God's will for Joshua's life. He is now gonna take leadership of the children of Israel, this nation of God followers. That's how you have to think of them. They are just like you. They are committed to following God. 
They are all in. They are totally given over to obeying God. They're not perfect at it, for sure, but they are like us today. We are committed to following God, except that we live in the new covenant. So we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have a greater relationship with God than even they do. So Joshua, he, they tell, he tells them that you guys need to take the Ark of the Covenant and go out. And that's the direction. And notice in verse 4, he tells them, For you have not passed this way before. Do you know that's the truth for them then, but it's the truth for you now. Everything you experience today, everything, including this moment, you have not passed this way before. It's all new. But our minds play tricks on us. Because when you do something repetitively and habitually, you lose the excitement of what could happen. Uh, I'll give you an example. Let's just say that you've been with us. Well, let's say in this building, we've gathered together now in this building about 14 years. So we've gathered together. So that's a lot of Sundays to come to church. So you've come to church a lot of those Sundays of 14 years. And you're like, well, I'm here again. And it's the same thing, different day. Same thing, different day. Same thing, different day. Not true. Today, you have not passed this way before. Well, sure, you might be in the same room, but this is the first time today that you're in this room. This is the first time you're hearing this message. And some of you are going, no, Ed, I was here first service. It was different. Anybody that listens to the messages here, all three of them have the same notes, but there's a different direction because there's different people in the room. The Holy Spirit has a different emphasis for every single service. So it's not even, well, I've heard this before. You haven't. This is the first time I'm delivering this message for the second service on this Sunday. But we don't normally think that way. Instead, we get into a time of routine. And we literally look down on the days that God gives us. Same, same thing, different day. Same thing, different day. And we don't anticipate, listen, you haven't passed this way before. What does God have for you? What's fresh? What's new? What is he going to reveal? We're always coming to new territory, church. Always coming to new ground. That's always the place when we step out in faith. One chapter closes when another one begins. There's an ending and a beginning. And up to this point, one of the big changes that this nation of Israel is experiencing is how God will lead them. Because you remember for the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. Remember, this is the second, third generation entering in. The first generation, with the exception of Joshua and his friend, whose name was? Who's Joshua's friend's name? Caleb. Joshua and Caleb are going in. To, they're the only two that are going to go in. Everyone else is the next generation. Because the first generation, they died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Because of their fearful unbelief. They didn't trust God. And instead of going in in just a short journey into the promised land, like God said would happen, their unbelief, they caused them to wander in the wilderness to die. It's their kids, their grandkids that are entering in now, going through into the promised land, and something's changing. In the wilderness, they learn to follow God through two supernatural events. During the day, they were given a cloud that was over the Ark of the Covenant, over the tabernacle. And when the cloud moved, they moved. So their eyes were always on the cloud, always looking to the tabernacle, which was in the center of the people. In the daytime, it was a cloud. Remember, in the evening, they were given a pillar of fire. 
And as long as the fire stood still, they stood still. If it moved, they moved. And of course, there were a lot of people, so it took time to pack up and get things moving. And they were being led supernaturally by God, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Things are changing here. Instead of these supernatural things, now they wouldn't wait for a cloud or fire. Now they are going to learn how to follow Joshua, God's appointed leader, and the priests. They would need to learn how to trust these men at their word. They would learn how to walk with God through the leading of his leaders. And the Ark of the Covenant here is what is their eyes are to be on. The Ark of the Covenant is where God met the, met the nation, met the people on the lid. The lid we know as the mercy seat. And that lid was a picture and a type of Jesus Christ to come, where God meets us today. All of this was pointing toward, toward the coming of the Savior, and things are going to change. Remember in the ark, you had a few things that were inside. First of all, there were a copy of the law, the tablets of stone. Secondly, there was a jar of manna, that supernatural food that God gave to the children of Israel while they were wandering. And then thirdly, there was Aaron's rod that had budded. And these all give us a picture of God's faithfulness, God's provision, and God's power. So, so they're going to learn how to follow God through his faithfulness, through his provision, and through his power. And it's been said, faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequence. Trusting God at the substance and the evidence that he's given to us. Notice with me now in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I'll begin, begin to magnify you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Let's just pause there for a second. Why would God need to magnify Joshua among the people when they already recognize him as the leader? What is it that's necessary in Joshua's life? Like this is a big time. You know, this is a huge thing that God is doing a great work for millions of people. But he pauses and tells Joshua, there's a special work for you, Joshua. You know, one of the things that many people face in a large growing church like ours is you think, well, God is working in all the larger church, but he's forgotten me. God will never forget you, ever. You are not forgotten with God. Whether you're in a church of three people or 3,000 people, you will never be forgotten by God. And here's Joshua in the midst of all the people and all the work that God is doing, not only for the nation then, but for the future. For you and me, we get to learn now. He says, hey, Joshua, I just want you to know, I'm going to begin to magnify you so the people will respect your leadership. And you think, why? I'll tell you why. Turn back to chapter one. Joshua, this great man of faith, Joshua, this man that God has chosen, that Moses has trained and God has chosen to be the next leader, he is facing this step of faith very similarly to what, how you and I face steps of faith. Pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 1 in the book of Joshua. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I've given you. 
As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man, verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I'll not leave you or forsake you. And then check this out. He says this three times. Verse 6, be strong and of good courage. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This great man of faith is afraid, and he's lacking courage. Isn't that how so often you face a decision in your life? It's fearful. If, it, if taking steps of faith and walking in regular obedience was easy, everybody would be doing it all the time. But it's challenging because it's the mixture of the spiritual realm and God's goodness and holiness with our imperfect humanity. Oh, it's true. We are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're born again, changed forever from the inside out. But we still are walking in these carcasses these bodies with the brain that isn't redeemed yet, with old sinful habit patterns, and some of you haven't developed a faith walk because you're afraid. You're afraid. People, that, people again, that like to think ahead and like to know what's happening, like to control things, get really afraid because God only reveals things one step at a time. You want to know what's going to happen 20 years from now and God wants you to pay attention to what's happening 20 seconds from now, that what's right in front of you. I've come to, to the conclusion that there's a part of me that would like to know 20 years, but, but I really don't want to know 20 years from now. I really don't want to know because if God showed me, I'd probably try to rearrange my life to avoid all the pain and suffering that's in my life, all the things that God is using to make me the man that he wants me to be. I would probably choose a more comfortable, easy life if God wasn't leading me step by step, moment by moment. So back in chapter three, God is just affirming to Joshua among all the people, look Joshua, I'm with you. And I'm going to magnify you among the people. They're gonna trust you. You're going to be okay. Verse eight, you will command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Termites. No, that's not there. They're all ites. All the enemies in the land. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the, all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass, right? You've got to compare verse 10. He will without fail, and it shall come to pass. As the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, that's who's leading you. He's not merely a higher power. He's not merely a... God, little g of many gods. He is the Lord of all the earth. That's who you're following, Joshua. That's who you're following, Calvary. The Lord of all the earth. So it shall come to pass that when you're 
the feet of the priests, their feet shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. This is going to require faith. This is going, this step of obedience is going to require faith. Because if you have been to Israel, if you've been to Israel with us, you know, you're kind of thinking of the Jordan River in your mind, especially where we do the baptism, and you're thinking, put my, water, put my feet in the water of the Jordan, what's the big deal? Like you can look across the bank where we baptize, it's about, I don't know, 40 feet or so, it's not very wide, the water doesn't move very fast, I mean you go up toward the banyas and the head, the water's coming down can move pretty fast if there's a good rainfall, but down most of the Jordan today isn't what it was like, because now through the irrigation and how it's, all these tributaries are coming off, the Jordan is, is more like a creek today than it is a big, mighty, rushing river. So, so for the folks that are living this out, the Jordan generally around the time, you know, general around normally was about 100 feet wide, but during harvest time, as it says, or the springtime, you could have the Jordan moving so fast that it could be in some places over a mile wide of fast, moving, rushing water. For them to stand in this rushing water was a step of faith because Joshua, the priests, are leading the nation. Leaders, they're called leaders because they what? They lead. Leaders have to be up front. Leaders have to be the chief examples, or as Jesus said, the chief servants. He gave us the example. And these guys are going to go, and the faith in their life is going to spread because they have the backdrop. This is very different than when they came out of Egypt. This is a nation that was in slavery in Egypt. For those of you that know the Bible, you remember God raised up a man by the name of Moses, sent him to the leader of the known world at the time, Pharaoh of Egypt. And he went up and told Pharaoh, let my people go. And it's that time in the scriptures where all the plagues were sent by God upon Egypt to move Pharaoh to let his people go. And time after time after time until finally losing the first one, he goes, get out of here, get out. And so Moses led them, they plundered the Egyptians, they took their stuff, and they left. And they're heading at that moment into the promised land. This is 40 years before we're here in Joshua 3. And remember, as they're leaving, they get right up to the Red Sea, which is impassable. They're not a million people at this time, they're probably a couple hundred thousand at this time, leaving Egypt, and they're at the Red Sea, and it's impassable. Not only that, but to the left of them and to the right of them are mountains. And they're incapable of getting over those mountains because there's a worse thing than the Red Sea and the mountains, and that is behind them, the Egyptians are after them. Pharaoh said to go, but then he changed his mind, and he sent his armies to go get them and either kill them or bring them back. So what God did was lead this nation into a trap what seems to be a trap. There is no way out. Listen, I know that there are some among us listening right now that feel like you're trapped where you are. You see no way out. You, you don't see anything going forward. You're looking to the left and you're looking to the right. I don't see any way out. You're kind of thinking back, you know, doubling back your steps and going back a few, but when you look back, you go, no, there's no way I can go back, and you feel trapped. And feeling trapped has made you very fearful, very concerned. 
You might have even begun to take things into your own hands to try to fix this thing. So can I ask you a question and answer this out loud? Is it possible that God led you into that trap? Yes or no? It's very possible. We see God many times bringing out and pressing in and allowing circumstances to bring us to the place of what? Looking to him. All these other times, leaving, looking, watching, planning, has never really required you to look to God. But now you're in this place where you don't see a way out. And I know many of you have learned this, and some of you are going to learn it for the first time. Listen, God can make a way when there is no way. And you remember in the Red Sea, you know how God did it? He just said, hey, Mo, lift up your staff. And that's what he did. And what happened? The waters parted. They all crossed on dry ground. And then right when they got to the other, the Egyptian army caught up. And what did God do? Let the waters drown them. And he took care of it all. He took care of the trap and he took care of the enemy. And they moved forward. God can do the same for you. Now, 40 years later, they're in a different place. None of this. Hey, Joshua, can't you just lift your hand? You know, can't you just talk to the waters? Like, I know what Moses did. We used to do it this way. And, and Joshua says, no, God said you need to stand in the waters. That, that is, you must stand in the waters. And you can imagine, the Bible doesn't give us that, but just being human, you can imagine. There had to be questions. Well, what if? What if? What if I lose my footing? What if I fall in? What if God doesn't come through? What if? And it's so easy to what if faith and just what if God out of the equation. It's going to require faith. Before the waters would dry, the priests had to put their feet in. They had to stand in the rushing flood waters of the Jordan. Why? Because God is always taking us from faith to faith, from glory to glory. He's taking this nation now to another faith step. It is their faith step. It is what God's doing in their generation. And he wants to teach us how to walk by faith like Enoch. What was Enoch remembered for? He, by faith, he walked with God. The lifestyle, the manner of his life, the progress of his life was with God, not without God. And so God is teaching them now these lessons of faith. The waters won't part until you get there. Yeah, but what about this? They won't, it won't happen until you obey. You won't get, this is so frustrating to many. You want things planned out. Like you want to know exactly you, like, okay, I'll step out in faith if you show me what's going to happen 10 steps from now. Listen, you'll never be revealed. The second step of faith will never be revealed until you take the first step. It's step number one. Stand in the waters and see what the Lord might do. As you step in, as you're standing there, as you're wondering what's gonna happen, that exciting change takes place. That beautiful agreement. I wanna show you something. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Because in stirring of faith, you need to make a choice of what kind of person you wanna be and what kind of people you wanna hang out with. Now, this, this particular true story in the Bible has ministered to me for many, 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 many years. As I began to study the Bible with Pastor Chuck Smith using cassette tapes, 
one at a time. Now, those of you that don't know what a cassette tape is, Google it after service. You'll learn how we had to listen to Bible studies in the day. Pop a cassette in, and if you didn't have one of those auto things to turn it around, you'd take it out, flip it over, put it back in, and I studied through the Bible. And one of the most fascinating studies I've ever had in my life was the very first time I heard 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and Chronicles taught to me. And this particular episode in the life of Jonathan, the son of King Saul, is a dramatic addition to my life. Such a beautiful picture of faith. So notice, if you will, in verse 1, it says, Now it happened one day. Let's stop right there. Do you know that everything happens the same way? Every single, you can say anything that God has ever done in your life, you can look back and say, now it happened one day. You know, we have a tendency to complain about the days and complain about, oh, it's so long, I can't wait for the weekend, I want, and you're missing all the days that God wants to use in your life. It happened one day, it happened today. And for looking back on Jonathan's life, it happened one day, notice, that Jonathan, the son of King Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, who's often known as the armor bearer, his armor bearer, come let us go over to the Philistines garrison that's on the other side, but he didn't tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh was wearing an ephod. But the people didn't know that Jonathan had gone. Now between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other was Sine. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then check this out, verse 6. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Check this out. It may be, those are words of faith. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Jonathan not only has a relationship with God, but he has the right concept of the greatness of God. And what does he say? Hey, you know, this is a war scene, by the way. So this is a war scene being unveiled before us. The king has about 600 men, but Jonathan is there with his armor bearer, and he says, you know what? God is great. God is powerful. And he he can win with one of us, or he can win with all of us. But let's go over and see, maybe God will do something today. Let's go take that step. Maybe God will do something. And I love it. His armor bearer says, Do all that's in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to all your heart. Look, you either want to be Jonathan or his armor bearer. And you want to hang out with people that are like Jonathan or like his armor bearer. You certainly don't want to hang out with faithless people. Where God places some on your heart and they go, oh, that'll never happen. Oh, that's not true. Oh, you don't believe that. Oh, that's, no, 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 no. You want to have somebody like his armor bearer goes, hey, let's do it. Anything that's in your heart. Because it's the same picture as we see with Joshua. The armor bearer did not hear directly from God, even though he knew God. He heard from Jonathan. And Jonathan received from the Lord. And together, they're going to go. And here's what they're, here's what they're suggesting. The two of them are going to completely take on 
the Philistine armies by themselves. All by themselves. They're not going to tell anybody about it. But I love what he does here. He sets, up, he sets it up in such a way where he's not going to step out in presumption and test or tempt the Lord. He says in verse, verse 8, Jonathan said, very well, let's cross over to these men and we'll show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place and not go up. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we'll go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be a sign to us. So we know that one of the ways that God leads us is through open doors and closed doors. And so he's setting up and he's saying, look, if this is what they say, then we just know it's not from the Lord. But if they say this, then it's, it, it's, it is on. We, we know that God has set this up. So it says in verse 11, and you might want to mark this, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison. You know, I like to teach in the school ministry here, and I also teach the guys, the team that we have. I always like to remind us that we is the language of ministry. It's not I. Nobody serves God all by themselves, individually, although we do have personal responsibility. We serve together. We are a team. We go forward together so that when Jonathan says, let's go, the answer is, let's go. We'll go. Not only is there a relationship with us, individually, like in, in the human realm, but more importantly, we is the language of ministry with God because we never do anything without God. Nothing of eternal value happens without God. No, nothing of eternal significance happens without God. Now, you can go out and do a lot of great deeds. You can do a lot of great things. You can even do them in, in the name of God. But without him, without Jesus, we are Nothing, nothing. We is always the language of ministry. And you see that if you look for it throughout the scriptures, you will see it everywhere. Like it says in here in verse 11, so both of them, both of them. God gave this impression to Jonathan, but the armor bearer is so tight with them. So let's go do it together. And they show themselves to the garrison, verse 11. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden, which was kind of a mockery. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we'll show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after them, his armor bearer killed them. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within a half hour or a half acre of land. You know, when you're stepping out to obey God, oftentimes you like, I would not go against the whole garrison of the Philistines, but you can see what God had planned. What God had planned for Jonathan and his armor bearer was not to take on the whole uh, group of the Philistines and the enemy. It was just a few of them that needed to be taken care of. And a few of them were taken down and look what the next verse says. Now there was trembling in the camp because God always has something going on that we don't know about. There's always a bigger picture to the circumstance and situation that we're in. He's always working in our lives. There isn't a moment in time when God is not at work in our lives. And for the believer in Christ, you can have confidence today that God is working all things together for the good for those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. All of us, we walk in what he's doing. And it's true. God just needs one person in agreement. 
I mean, really, if you think about it, God doesn't need anybody. But he's chosen to condescend to our level and he's chosen to use us. All he needs is one. Imagine what he can accomplish through so many. Imagine what he can accomplish as we gather together and we're excited about what God wants to do and we remember that we're in this together. And the heart and foundation of this church, having been here for all the years, having been a part of this and watched God ups and downs, the heart of this church is hundreds if not thousands of small faithful steps by believers. I look back in my own life. You know, I'm not always happy with what I see in my life as a believer. I haven't always, and I'm not always this great man of faith. There's actually been many times as I look back in episodes in my life where I wasn't a man of faith at all, where I doubted God, where I was afraid, where I lacked courage. I, I mean, I have desperately sought God on a few occasions, one in particular, where I was so desperate for God to do a work, and the answer to my prayer was the exact opposite of what I prayed for. And it shot an arrow right into the heart of my trust and reliance upon God. But I think back, because every true leader has to remember to get our eyes off of people and back onto God. It's not about our faithfulness, remember that. It's not about your faithfulness or mine. Because the Bible says that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. And so as we choose to look to the author and finisher of our faith, as we choose to look at the one that builds our faith, as we choose to look at the one that gives us faith, as we cry out like the disciples do, increase our faith, our eyes must be on the God who is faithful. God is faithful, church. God is faithful. And his word will come to pass. The question is, as we launch off into a clear slate, clean slate, what is God doing in your life? What impressions has he given to you? Who are you? Are you Jonathan? Are you the armor bearer? Or are you the complainer? Are you the murmurer? Are you the one wasting your days? Are you the one throwing them aside? Are you the one that, unlike we're taught in the scriptures, the Bible teaches us we need to be like a soldier. We need to be lean. We need to cast away the things that burden us and the things that weigh us down. We need to not be caught up in the affairs of this life. You know, we are only passing through church. Earth is not our destination. Earth is not our destination. There's coming a day when you will take your last breath on earth. Your eyes will close and it's the next millisecond, your next breath and your eyes will open in the presence of Jesus Christ. And every tear will be wiped away. Every wrong will be made right. And you will be in his presence forevermore. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious face. And the way that we live in eternity is by faith that we live for him and to him and in him. As a church family, 
my heart is still the same and I, I feel like God has continued to enlarge it. What, what next, Lord? I think of as I'm involved in a lot of different denominations, a lot of different friends. You know, there are people right now moving here, praying about moving here to plant a church, reach this city. And you know what, guys? We're already here. And so why would we allow someone to have a greater heart for our city when we're already here? And you've learned it's not just our city. It's the metro area. It's all the way down. It's Colorado. It's the, the God's heart is to use us, Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? The uttermost part. Imagine your life affects right now the uttermost parts of the earth and can only grow in that capacity. And as we launch into a new year, faith by faith, taking faith steps, being faced with impossible tasks. One of, the, one of the other neat things in the scripture is Abraham's servant when he was sent to find a bride. In his testimony, when he comes back, he says in Genesis 24, verse 27, as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me. Being on the way, the Lord led me. Being on the way, that's how he leads. And I'll close with this. And Warren, Warren Wiersbe in his commentary in this section, he says this, I'll just give you a sentence. He says, what a tragedy it is when God's people fail to claim their inheritance and wander aimlessly through life as Israel did in the wilderness. Because this group that we're seeing in Joshua 3 is just one doubtful thought away from entering into the promises that are right before them. The rushing water at their feet. Maybe it won't happen. And besides, some of them are half a mile behind what's happening. I wonder if the water will stay. Because notice, come back in Joshua 3 now. Let's find out what happened. Joshua 3, it says, So it was, this is verse 14, when the people set out from their camp to cross the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water. Thank God for leaders that will lead. For the Jordan overflows all its banks during the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeraton, and the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. And now notice the people crossed over opposite Jericho, the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Why? Because what God promises will come to pass. The only question is, will you be a part of it? And I, for one, want to be a part of whatever God promises, and I want to see it come to pass until I meet him face to face. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the privilege of studying your word and, and just kind of stirring up in us this sense of obedience, this sense of, of um, camaraderie, unity, oneness. Lord, I, I pray, God, that whatever you have in store for us, that we would respond in faith. And even when we're faithless, which is so discouraging, just so stinking discouraging, God, to be faithless, that we would just remember that you are faithful. You are full of faith, and your words will come to pass. 
and you will accomplish and finish the work you have on the earth, with or without us. And I know we, we just, God, we want to be a part of what you're doing in the life that we live. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. And that's our heart's desire, Lord, to, to know that everything we have, everything we do, every, every area of society you placed us in, that we're on mission with you. And so, God, as we step into the areas of faith today and we just kind of consider the waters that are before us, I pray that you would increase our faith and forgive us for our faithlessness. Forgive me when I meet some of the challenges and difficulties without faith and I freak out or worry or whatever it is, whatever emotion the day is, Lord, I lay them before you, cast my cares upon you because you care for me. I know that many, many can follow in my footsteps and they can cast their cares upon you because you care for them. And so bless us. Bless this time and bless us today, Lord, that we've never been this way before. Show us what you want to do and accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.